You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Well, good afternoon. My name is Mark Zeiler. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, I am the new uh, church planning pastor, and it's been a great time uh, being here working with uh, Todd and Will and Kendall and Tatum. And uh, one of the fun things we get to do is sometimes occasionally eat lunch together. So about a couple weeks ago, we were having lunch for Will's birthday. And so we're eating together um, as a team and family. And I'm just sitting there, you know, trying to think of what do I want to eat for lunch. And so I'm torn between the, uh, the chicken and the fish sandwich. You know, so whenever you're torn, a good thing to do is to ask the waiter. So the waiter walks up and, uh, he, you know, he's making small talk. And so I, I strike up a little bit with him and say, hey, I got, I got a question. I'm, I'm trying to decide between this chicken and this fish sandwich. Um, do you, what would you recommend between these two? And he looks at me and he says these words. He says, I would go with the chicken because you look like a consumer, and I'm like, a consumer? And his hands are like, are like this, like out here, you know? And I'm just like, what do you mean? And so like, we, we, they, they laugh, and I laugh, and it's kind of funny. And, and, and I thought it was pretty funny when he said it. And I asked him, what do you mean? He goes, well, I think, you know, the chicken, it's a little more bulky. You know, I think you could handle that. And I'm just like, man, you, you are not even trying to backpedal here. Like, you are just committing to this. And so I did think it was funny, but then later that afternoon, I'm just, I'm working by myself, minding my own business. And the words that he said, you look like a consumer, like came back into my mind. Like I thought about them again. And I thought about them honestly, in a little bit of an insecure way to the point where I I found this like impulse to go like look in a mirror and be like, what does he mean? I look like a consumer. You know, but I didn't. I didn't go look in the mirror. Um, but I did begin to think. You know what? Like words are a powerful force. Like words are such a powerful force in our life. Words have such a power to shape us, to form us, to even affect our stories, to affect how we live, how we act, the things that are said to us, but also the words that we say to others affect us. Uh, we find in God's, in God's word um, that the word, um, that words are very important. Words are crucial to life. Even the story of the whole universe started with words. God created the entire universe with words. It says in Hebrews chapter, chapter 1 verse 3 that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power that he holds all things together in existence with words. The primary way that God communicates with humanity, the primary way that he communicates with us and expresses himself to us is through his word, the scripture, literal words. That's how he communicates with us. Um, The secular world also notices the importance of words. There's a book out of Harvard called How to Do Things with Words by J.L. Austin. And in it is what's called the speech act theory. And it's very, this very logical um, and methodical argument that words are not just these kind of like free flowing things that kind of float around. And there's really no such thing as talking out loud in like a meaningless way. No, words are actions, 
When we say things, they do things to people. They do things to our minds. They do things, they, they affect how we think and how we process what's being you know, related with one another. Just on an emotional level, just consider how words have affected you at certain times and scenes in your life. I mean, there's times in life where there are certain words that can be said by a certain person that can be so meaningful and so precious that when those words are communicated, you will never forget that scene in your life. Like I can remember when my wife and I first said the words, I love you to each other. I mean, I remember the place. I remember where we were sitting. I remember it was after a U2 concert in Houston. You know, like I remember everything that happened after that, you know, like me when I said it, wondering is she going to say it back? And there was like this long kind of pause, like longer than I wanted it to be. Like just these words, when they were communicated, I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that scene in my life. And same for you. I know there's been words that have said to you special words and you'll never forget that time. You'll never forget those things. There's also words that bring harm that bring destruction to our life. I mean, I can remember very vividly um, one of the most kind of paramount scenes in my life that, you know, all hours of counseling have had to help me like process when I was in second grade. I got held back in school. And I remember on the playground, someone else saying to me, you failed, you failed, you failed. And how those words shaped me. They affected me. They did things to me. And I'll never forget the time, the place, who said it, the scene. And I know in this room right now, behind every single face in this room, there's words of destruction that have been said to you that have shaped you, that right now, some of you, you're sitting here and they serve as kind of a hook in your heart and they hold you back in life. Words like loser, stupid, failure, fat, skinny, idiot, pathetic, and the list could go on and on. Guys, words matter. Words matter. They're crucial to life. And right now we're in the book of Colossians chapter three, and we're kind of full stride already. Last week, um, uh, Will got into the whole sexual you know, stuff, all that sex and everything. And uh, we're right into practice. The first three chapters of Colossians or the first two were very much about Christ is our life. He is the fullness that we look for, not in some fake religious practices, but no Jesus. And so now we're full stride into, okay, if Jesus is your life, if he is the fullness, if he's what makes up the fullness of your life, he is where you look to for identity and purpose and meaning. How is that going to affect how you live? Tonight we're looking at how does it affect your words. And here's the deal. If Christ is your life, he will affect how you talk. He will affect the words that you say. And as we look at this passage, we're going to look at three main things here. What is being commanded about our words? what is being commanded, why should we do it, and how do we do it? Let's get into it. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 8, which says, 
But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. What is he commanding here? He is commanding that we put away certain ways of talking and certain ways of relating with other people out of anger and wrath and malice, putting away slander and obscene talk from our mouths. Because those words, slanderous words and obscene words, they cause destruction. They don't build up, they don't redeem, they don't help people, no, they destroy people. Now let's look at each one of these words in detail. First, anger. Anger, what is anger? Anger simply defined, the word is a a passionate kind of reaction. A simple way to understand um, anger is that it's a reaction to a blocked goal. So you desire something, you want something in life, you have a goal that you're after, and then that thing, whatever it is, is blocked. That can cause anger. It's an emotional reaction to that. Another way to look at anger is you might already have something. It's not something you are wanting in the future you expect to get in life. You may already have it, and that thing is threatened. That thing that you have is threatened. Could be your house, your wife, your children, um, your reputation, your fame, your money, that thing, whatever it is, could be threatened, and that causes a, a reaction and anger. Now, what's next in this verse is uh, wrath and malice, and so you already see that, that Paul is not talking, he's talking about an anger that provokes a certain kind of emotional reaction, and what is that emotional reaction? One of wrath and malice, that when your goal is blocked, when anger happens, you react with wanting to bring harm to someone. Wrath and malice, you want to punish, you want to destroy. And then specifically, in what way? Through slander. What's slander? Slander is to like slant someone. It means to uh, diminish someone or make someone else small. Now, this word slander right here doesn't necessarily mean that you're, gonna, that you're lying about someone. No, you could be telling the truth about someone, but you tell the truth or you lie about someone in a way that makes them small, that diminishes them, that attacks them and make them, makes them seem less than you or less than someone else. Obscene talk is kind of like, uh, basically like coarse Uh, gross, grotesque talk. It's in relation to talking about someone, some person in a way without regard, without um, faking, without kind of like shading it, without like making making it seem like, oh, they're not half bad. No, it's just blatantly trying to destroy someone with grotesque speech. Now, how does this all work? How does this all fit together? Um, I believe that these words are, are, are intentionally ordered the way that they are. And that they start with anger. That anger, if you want to know how to like overcome this and put this off and do what Paul's commanded to do, you need to take a close look at anger. Now when it comes to anger, Augustine has written some very helpful ideas about anger. Part of what Augustine said once was that our biggest problem in life is disordered love. Our biggest problem in life is disordered love. Now, what do we mean when we say disordered love? Disordered love is either when you love a wrong thing, you love something bad, something that's not healthy, something that's not good for your life, you love it. Another way to look at disordered love is when you love a good thing, 
something good in life too much. You disorder it. You take a good thing and you put too much of an emphasis on it. You put it in too high a place, too sacred of a place in life. So you could, you know, what are some good things in life? Uh, Money is not necessarily a bad thing, but when you make it an ultimate thing, it can cause all kind of stress and anxiousness in your life. Um, A family is a great thing, but when you make it the ultimate thing and you think having a family is going to be what brings you meaning and purpose in life, that can cause a lot of trouble in your life. When a job is a good thing, but when a job is that thing that you love more than anything else, and you're going to be stressed out. You're going to be consumed. You're going to be a workaholic. It's not going to work out well. Now, whenever we have a disordered love, this also causes disproportionate anger. It can cause a disproportionate anger. Because when my goal in life, when that thing that I love is threatened, I'm going to have a disproportionate angry reaction. I'm going to be an angry person. I'm going to say things I wish I didn't say. I'm going to be controlled by this thing that I love. Now, one way to understand, one one thing that's important to understand when you're talking about anger is that anger is neutral. Anger is not in itself good or bad. What makes anger good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, is what fuels it what motivates it, what propels it. Some anger could be good because you could be wanting to protect a good thing. But some anger could be very unhealthy and that you're trying to protect something that's not worthy of protecting. It's not a good goal to have. So for example, let me tell you a story. So I was uh, walking my daughter and dogs recently. So we have one of those uh, strollers. It's got the big wheel, so you can run with it, you know, if you need to and get it on a trail or something. And so I've got Harper in the stroller. I've got my two dogs with me. And they're, they're little dogs. And so, you know, when you're walking with them, if you run into a bigger dog, you know, that could be trouble because they could take them out. Now, here's why I tell you that detail is there's a house in our neighborhood that has, it sits on like a three to five acre lot. I don't know how big it is. It's a big acre. It's a big lot. And around it is this big fence, but inside it is like these, there's like six or seven dogs. Every time I walk by, I feel like there's more dogs in this yard. Now this one dog in particular, I know its name because I've seen its tag. Its name is Sable and Sable is a ferocious like wolfhound. I mean, I don't know what kind of dog it is. It looks like a wolf. And whenever you're passing by, this dog just goes berserker. I mean, like fangs out, eyes like, does this thing have rabies? Like, how are these other other dogs in here alive with this dog in here. Um, I kid you not, I I had a neighbor tell me one time that that this dog, Sable, jumped into his backyard and mauled his wiener dog, okay? (laughs) Just a true story. Um, Another time, I'm walking by this yard. I'm just telling you, I know there's kids in here, but you know, just, I got to give you this detail. I'm walking by this yard and I look in and Sable is just like staring at me and he's, she's got a dead possum in her mouth. And there's like blood all over her mouth. And she's just like staring at me. I'm like, what is up with this dog? And so this one time I'm walking my baby and my two dogs. And to make a long story short, I'm walking by this yard. And right as we walk by, they all come running up. They're barking like crazy. And I notice that the latch 
on the gate is unlocked, like the little gate to go out and get the, the mail. And right as Sable walks up to this gate, the gate begins to open and Sable sees that it's open and she comes bolting straight for the gate, teeth out, like looking mad, like raging. And so here's what happens. This is no boast. This is just any dad would do this, okay? This is an illustration on anger. I see that this, this, this raging dog is coming out of this gate, and I've got my baby here, my baby girl, right? And I got my two dogs. And so I just react. I feel this emotion in my heart called anger, and it's like, it's like, fired up. And so I get in between, I get in between my, my daughter and these two dogs and I just yell as loud as I can. I hope someone saw this because it was, it was kind of crazy. I yell at the top of my lungs, like Gandalf and like Lord of the Rings, like get back. Like I just like yell as loud as I can. And when I do that, like I had been on hikes in Colorado where they say, if you see a bear, get big. So I got big, you know, and uh, Sable sees this like cowers in fear and just kind of goes back in. And so I slam the gate shut. I'm like, let's get out of here. And so, and so we go and I'm like, Megan, I can't believe I got to tell you what happens. So I tell her the story. She's rolling her eyes, you know, here's the deal. That was a good anger. Why? Because it was protecting something good. It was defending something good. It was defending my family and my dogs. Now, just track with me here. Bear with me. Imagine if you could take your fame or your popularity or your money or your ego or your time on a walk. When that stuff, when that stuff in your life is threatened, that how clean your house is, your body, how you look, your job title, whatever it is in life, if you could take those things on a walk, when they're threatened, what happens? Because here's the deal, an unhealthy, you know you have an unhealthy anger. when what you're protecting is not worth it, when the reaction you you have is causing disintegration in your relationships. It's causing distrust in relationships. And Paul here is specifically talking about an anger that results in slander and obscene talk. Slander. What does this look like? For me, it's it's looked like a lot of different things. Now, I can easily talk about my own slander because I know that every single person in this room slanders often. I just know it's the, it's the nature of who we are as humans, unfortunately. When I was in high school, you know what I loved much? You know what my disordered love was all about? I loved basketball. I loved the idea of like potentially going to college to play basketball. And so I had a disproportionate love for basketball. And so guess how that showed up in my life? I I talked obscenely to other people face-to-face on the basketball court. I talked behind other people's backs. Gossip reigned in my life when it came to basketball because I wanted to succeed. I wanted to be good at it. I wanted to be seen for it. I, I looked for life in it. 
When I was in high school, I wanted to be popular. And so what did I do? I talked bad about other people behind their backs to try to climb this artificial fake social ladder to try to like get above other people and to get certain girls and to make other guys look bad. When I was in college, Christ had captivated my heart, but even so, I had this inordinate love for my reputation as like a Christian person. I wanted to be seen as holy. I wanted to be seen as moral. And so how did that demonstrate itself sometimes? In talking bad about other people so that they wouldn't look holy, so that they wouldn't look moral, so that I would look better to try to exalt myself above others. When I graduated from college, I went into full-time ministry. And how did it show up in my life? There's this one scene where I went in, I was working at a church and I went into a mail room and I pulled out like an invitation to this conference. It was like a brochure. And I saw the speakers like that were gonna be speaking at the conference. And one of them was a friend of mine. I knew him and I knew the dirt in his life. And I found a person next to me, and I just, I can't even remember the feeling. It was just like this hot kind of feeling in my heart of like jealousy and anger that he was on this, and it wasn't me. And I turned to another person, and I said, hey, hey, look, see, look who's speaking of this. I know this guy. And I totally like just slashed him. Like I remember like the words coming out of my mouth, and it just felt gross. It just felt like, ugh. But I said it anyway, because it was an attempt to try to exalt myself, to diminish him, to make him look smaller so that I would look bigger. And did it work? No. But it's important, guys, to understand that the heart of this is anger. It's an anger that's caused by loving something too much. What is it that you love too much? What is it in your life that you love so much that it causes you to slander other people? To talk bad about other people, to diminish other people. Instead of building others up, redeeming others with your words, bringing life to others through your words, honoring other people when they don't deserve it. Speaking well of other people in the presence of other people. What is Paul commanding us to do to put all this off like a dirty pair of clothes? Put it off, put it to death, kill it. Why? Why should we do that? Why should we put this stuff up, put this stuff off? Verse 9 and 10. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. What is he getting at here? Because you've been given a new identity. You've been given a new identity. This is no longer who you are anymore. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you have been given a new identity. And that new identity is child of God, son of God, righteous in God's sight, blameless. So this whole like gossip and getting angry about things, all this stuff, it's not who you are anymore. You've been given a new self. So be who you are. It's kind of like this. When uh, my friends and my high school buddies of mine, we have this kind of anchor point um, in our friendship where we get together the 23rd of December every year and we gather around a fire pit. We have some beverages and some good food and we just tell stories. And every year I leave feeling like 
I feel like I'm in high school again. <laughs> like, kind of like there's that gross feeling of like, I just like reverted back to my high school self, being with my high school buddies, you know, telling all the same dumb stories, you know, like hitting a superintendent with a water balloon and like just, just dumb, crazy stuff. So this one year, we're not really thinking at all. And so we th- we're all beginning to get into these serious relationships. And so I, I was dating Megan pretty seriously. Um, Scott was dating a girl seriously. Um, Ty was, we're all dating someone pretty seriously, we thought, hey, we should bring our, you know, significant others to this thing. Get them involved, you know, hear the stories. And so we, we bring all the, all of these girls to this thing. And so, you know, we sit down and we're around the fire. And so we start telling these same dumb stories, not thinking about it. And we begin to, as we tell the stories, even begin to talk like we're in high school again. We even talk like our former selves. So by the end of the night, I mean, we're just like having so much fun, totally blind to how we're impacting the people around us, um, specifically the girls in the room. And so we, we go and we get in the car. And I remember sitting in the car with Megan and, uh, and I turned to her and I'm like, hey, yeah, wasn't that so much fun, you know? And she just kind of looks at me and goes, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Who am I? What do you, what do you mean? And so we get into this fight, you know? So it's like, what is she getting at? A good thing. That's not who I am anymore. That's the old me. Guys, when we talk with gossip, when we talk with slander, when we talk with coarse joking, God doesn't like it. God doesn't like that. Because that's not who you are. Like he didn't send Jesus to the cross and he didn't come back from the dead and give you a new identity and righteousness to live like out of your former self, to live with the former identity, to live with the fundamental identity as lawyer or even parent or husband or wife, that's not your fundamental identity anymore. And when you live and that's your primary identity in life, that's where you, you, that's where you go to to tap meaning in life, it's going to let you down. And you're going to need to find something to try to boost yourself. And real quickly, that thing you're going to look to is going to be slander. It's going to be gossip. It's going to be diminishing others to try to make yourself feel worth something. When what Christ has done has already given you all the worth and value and significance you could ever imagine. He calls you his son. God calls you his son. He loves you with the love that he has for Jesus. In that, that's who you are. Let that be your life. How do we do this? How do we do this? Look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What is this sentence communicating to us? That we're renewed. We are made new and we are renewed through knowledge. Knowledge of what? I believe this is referring back to the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 4, where Paul is challenging us to look. Look at Jesus. Seek the things that are above. What's above? 
What's above? What are we supposed to seek? What are we supposed to look at? We're supposed to look at a specific scene. And what's the scene that he paints a picture of us for? Jesus seated at the right hand of God, where we are hidden in Christ. What is Jesus doing seated at the right hand of God? What's happening there? What does that mean that he's seated at the right hand of God? He's sitting next to to God at his right hand, and that is representing his accomplished work. It is finished. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You've been given his righteousness. You've been given a new life. You're hidden in him. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. This is the gospel. He's saying, look at the gospel of Jesus. Look at Jesus. Think about him. Meditate upon him. And in doing so, you know where you're going to find out? You're more sinful than you think you are. God is more holy than you could ever imagine. And the combination of these two things, that God loves you in the midst of the fact that you're more sinful than you think and he's more holy than you could ever imagine, that is where the power to change is. The first time I ever kind of, I feel like I understood this. I mean, you go through life, you're like, I think I got it. I never understood it before, but now I do. That happens to me all the time. This was one of those times. I was a part of a core team of a church plant in Florida. And the pastor of the church plant said, hey, guys, I want all of us to go to this conference together. It's called Sonship. And so when I hear, let's go to a conference together, I think, sweet, this is going to be fun. You know, like we're going to hear a couple good seminars, but then we'll have free time to get to know each other. He's probably taking us there to bond, you know, and we'll be either going to the mountains or the beach or a lake house, something fun. And uh, it turns out, no, not at all. We were going to go to a local church in town. And so we'll just be hanging out in our own hometown, Orlando. And uh, not only that, but there's no free time. Like this conference is packed full of 12 intense seminars in four days. And in between that, you have to meet with a counselor, like a professional counselor. And at that time in my life, I thought counselors, that's for like messed up people. I don't need to go to a counselor. I found out that week that I need a counselor, that I'm more (laughs) messed up than I thought. And a part of this deal, sonship, they give you this thing. They give you this thing at the beginning of the week. It's called the tongue assignment. The tongue assignment. And this is like a big deal. It's a big part of the week. And it's very simple. At the beginning of the week, they say this. I have to read it because I don't like to remember it. It says, don't all week gossip or slander. Don't do that all week. At the time, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I think I can do that in one week. Don't complain. Don't blame shift. Don't make excuses or defend yourself and don't boast. So gossip, complain, blame shift, defend yourself or boast. Don't do any of those five things this week. So I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I think I can handle that. Maybe I'll mess up a few times. You know what I found out that week? As I like think about those five things and I'm meeting with a counselor who's like getting into my life. And like asking me all these hard questions about my story and who I am. And I'm listening to all this great like teaching from the word. I complained all the time. I blame shift constantly. Like I'm constantly in almost every conversation finding little tiny ways and big ways of like putting myself forward as this like significant person and boasting and saying things. Like I found, I remember in my conversations that week, I had this metaphor that it was like when I'm in a conversation with someone, it's like I'm constantly pulling out my resume. Like 
here, look at what I've accomplished. Here, look at this. Isn't this, isn't this great? Look at this stuff. And I just find little ways of dropping it in there. And all the while I'm, I'm going through this, I'm realizing what they're wanting me to realize. They came up with this quote that you've probably, you may have heard. It goes like this. We're all more sinful than we could ever imagine. We're all more sinful than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, God loves us. His love for us is bigger than you could ever dare dream or hope for. And when you take those two truths and you bring them together and you begin to look at your own heart and realize, I'm worse than I think. My gossip, it's worse than I think. My blame shifting, worse than I think. My gossip, my boasting, it's worse than I think. I'm worse than I think I am. But while you see kind of more of the reality of who you are and that God Almighty is looking at you and he loves you more than you could ever imagine, in that is a power, a power to transform you because it's a safe place. It's a safe place to go and be who you are, but don't, not to stay that way. I want to give you a couple practical things. I want to give you a couple practical things as we wrap this up. What to do. How do what do you do to really grow in the gospel? To see your words change. Here's a real simple one. Get feedback. Get feedback. Ask someone else. How do my words impact you and other people? Just ask that question. Or simply, how do I come across to people? How do I come across to you? I'll never forget, I was sitting in a a sermon once and the pastor said, walk out of here. And he he did this whole talk on blind spots and ask your friends, what are my blind spots? And I remember I did that. I said, hey, what are my blind spots? And they said, you know, you're way more insensitive with your words than you think you are. And I just was like, what? No, I'm not. Who's next? Who's going next? You know, like I just wanted to move on and like not think about it. But get feedback. You got to be willing to get feedback from people to ask others, how do my words affect people? Second one, be in the word, get in the word. Let the word of God dwell in your heart. For your words to be transformed, for your heart to be transformed, to stop looking to the world for your identity you got to have the word of God in your heart. That's not all of it, but that is a, it's, an, it's a non-negotiable. you got to have the word of God in your mind and in your heart. It will transform over time your words. Ask the question why. When you find yourself angry, like I found myself really angry the other day because I dropped my cell phone and the phone cracked, like the screen cracked. And I was like overly angry about this to the point where my wife had to lovingly say, please don't take this out on us because it was affecting my hope. My anger was affecting everyone around me because of my phone. So I had to ask the question, okay, why? Why am I so, why am I so angry about this? And I had to dig into that and ask the question, why? Is it because I love my phone too much? Yeah, it is. Like I have too much of an attachment on everything going on on the social media stuff. Ask the question why. When you find yourself angry, 
Ask yourself why. Do you love a clean house too much? When you find yourself angry saying things to your spouse, why? Ask the question why. And all this assumes community. It assumes you're in safe relationships with people that you can be honest with. Lastly, gospel intentionality. Remind yourself of the gospel. Sit in the narrative of the gospel that you're more sinful than you think, but God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And picture Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Think about Jesus. I mean, this week, what an amazing week, thinking about Jesus' journey to the cross. I mean, think about potentially, here's, a, here's something to think about this week. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is standing on trial as if that were possible for God to be on trial before the Sanhedrin. And in this scene, he's standing before his people, the Jews, the leaders of the, the priests and the leaders of the temple. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Almighty, who's upholding the universe with the word of his power. And you know what these men are doing to him? They're spitting in his face. They're taking their hand and slapping the face of God. They're striking him, punching him in the face, mocking him, calling him a blasphemer saying cruel words to God. It's crazy to think about. And what's his response? How does he respond? I think it's really, I think it's crazy to imagine what he could have done. He could, Jesus could have in that moment with one word decimated everybody in the room. He could have just with one word, just boom, they turned to dust. Or they just fall on the ground like he could just, they could just fall on the ground with one word. But you know what he does? He just takes it, takes it all the way to the cross where eventually he's up on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They know not what they do. Guys, there's been words that have been said to you that still cause so much anger in your life. And it, and it comes out. If you haven't dealt with the anger in your heart, it comes out and it affects the people around you. And it hurts the people around you and it hurts you. Some of you, you've been thinking about some of this and you're like, yeah, you know what? Like, I don't even know how I'll talk anymore. Like so much of my conversation is filled with boasting and, and slander. It's just so riddled with it. How do, what do I talk about? What do I talk about if I don't do that? Guys, I just want to leave you with, we all have a long way to go, but it starts with looking at Jesus and seeing his love for you and meditating upon him and going to another brother and sister and confessing and just saying, here's where I'm at and just confess where you're at. Share with someone the story, your stories of how words have hurt you. Verbalize them and tell them so that they can speak the gospel to you in that and share the love of God with you in that. Guys, I have one last story and then we're gone. We, we, we just got, we started going to uh, the Y, not because of the uh, consumer line, but we just started going. And, 
and it, you have to drop your kid off in daycare, so I dropped Harper off. And they write with invisible ink a number so they know who your daughter is or who your kid is. And so I went swimming, and I come back. And when I walk in the room, Harper's in the corner of the room, and I see her, and I'm just, there's a bunch of kids, other daycare people. And so I just figure I'm going to see if she, what, what the, well, she's a year and a half. And so I say, Harper, Harper. And she hears my voice, and she knows it's her dad. And she turns, and she sees me. And I mean, it's, it's one of those scenes, you know, like her face just lights up with this big old smile. She stands up. She says, Dada. And then she just runs across the room with her arms open wide. I pick her up. I hug her. I kiss her on the cheek. And then the lady comes over. And she's like, you know, I got the invisible flashlight to see the number on my hand. So I'm like, oh, here you go. So she looks, and the number's gone. It's been wiped away. So this little, like, shot of fear hits me. And I'm just like, oh, what do we do? I'm like, you know she's mine, right? Like, and she, and she looks at me and goes, yeah, sometimes you just know. And guys, here's the deal. You know how the world is going to know that we're, we're with him, that he's our father? So much so by our words, what we say in the workplace, at home, in your relationships, how you talk. It's going gonna, it's gonna to either be there to bring life and redemption and point people to the love of the Father, or it's going to destroy your credibility as a Christian, the way that you talk. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.